With Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. From API, this is Energy Tomorrow Radio, your source for information and conversation about the most important energy issues of the day. Welcome to Energy Tomorrow Radio. I'm your host, Jane Van Ryan. After 27 years of prohibiting offshore oil drilling and production along the east and west coasts, Congress has decided to allow the drilling ban to expire. Now, this could be a very good development for American consumers who are concerned about oil and natural gas supplies, but it's not clear whether the ban will be lifted long enough to improve U.S. energy security. Eric Melito, a lawyer from API who is very knowledgeable about offshore leasing, is here to shed some light on this critically important issue. And by the way, before coming to API, Eric served on active duty as a lawyer in the U.S. Army Judge Advocates General Corps and then worked as a career attorney at the U.S. Department of the Interior. Welcome, Eric. Thank you for inviting me. My pleasure. I'm glad you could join us today. So, Eric, let's start with just some beginning facts here. Uh, How much oil and natural gas are believed to exist off the east and west coasts? Well, according to government estimates, we expect there to be tremendous quantities of oil and natural gas off of both coasts. The east coast is, is expected to be heavy on the natural gas side. Current government estimates are at 37 trillion cubic feet of natural gas off the east coast, and there is a substantial quantity of oil estimated to be there, too, at 3.8 billion barrels of oil. The west coast, conversely, is expected to be very heavy with crude oil. The estimates are at 10.5 billion barrels of oil, and then again, substantial quantities of natural gas are expected to be off the west coast, with the estimates coming in at around 18.3 trillion cubic feet of natural gas. We also can't forget the eastern Gulf of Mexico. Everybody understands that we are very active developing oil and gas leases in the Gulf of Mexico, but the eastern Gulf has been substantially off-limits for a number of years, and those areas that have been off-limits are estimated to contain about 21.5 trillion cubic feet of gas and about 3.7 billion barrels of oil. So we think and believe that there are substantial quantities of oil and natural gas in these areas. Ed, put those numbers into context for us, if you will. Would they really help us meet our energy uh, demand for several years to come, or how would how would you describe their importance to our energy supplies? Well, it would take time to get these resources to market, to get them flowing to the cars and homes, but we have to realize that these resources could fuel millions of cars and heat millions of homes for decades. And another important factor to think about is that historically, government estimates have been very low. I'll give you a few examples. Prudhoe Bay in Alaska, the original estimates were that there were 9 billion barrels of oil. Already, there have been over 15 billion barrels of oil produced and shipped from Prudhoe Bay, and we expect that number to get over 18 billion barrels of oil. The Bakken Formation, which covers areas throughout North Dakota and Montana, is now estimated to contain 3 to 4 billion barrels of oil, which is about 25 times the original estimate. Then the Gulf of Mexico, where we have been developing for many years and where our offshore activities are very concentrated, 
When you look at the Gulf of Mexico, the Minerals Management Service first estimated there to be 9 billion barrels of oil. That's been revised to over 45 billion barrels of oil. So you have to look at it in a couple aspects. One, the estimates have always been very, very low. There could be way more than we originally thought. And two, it does take time and it will take time, but energy is a long-term process and it takes long-term solutions to meet our energy needs. Well, and that's a good segue to my next question because I think that a lot of Americans think that now that the moratoria have been lifted, that the oil companies can simply go to the east and west coasts, for example, and start drilling. But it's not quite that simple, is it? Yeah, there were two important steps that recently um, took place which lifted these moratoria areas or or took these areas from being off limits to being on limits, uh, for lack of better words. And, And what happened is President Bush lifted the executive moratoria. Basically, as the president, he has executive authority to implement our oil and gas leasing program. And for many years, uh, since uh, the early 90s, we've had an executive moratorium in place over all these areas. That was lifted. The second step, though, was getting Congress to lift its moratorium on all these areas. And that occurred when this latest continuing resolution was passed without that prohibition. Essentially, what Congress has been doing, it's been forbidding the federal government from spending money on offshore leasing in these areas. So that's done. Now it shifts back to the executive branch. And the Department of the Interior, which runs the Minerals Management Service, um, now has to carry out the necessary steps under the Outer Continental Shelf Lands Act to implement the oil and gas leasing in these areas. And that statute itself, the OCSLA, the Outer Continental Shelf Lands Act, requires steps before you can get the leasing going. The first big thing that is required is that you must do, or the government must perform, a five-year Outer Continental Shelf oil and gas leasing program. Before any lease sales can occur in any areas, the government must first include those areas in this program. Currently, we are in the middle of the 2007 to 2012 OCS five-year offshore leasing program. However, there's been a positive development recently. The executive branch, the, the, the administration, through the Department of the Interior, has announced that it's going to move up the next plan. So if that goes as scheduled, we could have the next five-year offshore leasing program extending from 2010, beginning July 1st, going through 2015, ending June 30th. So that would enable lease sales in any areas, including these areas, if if they remain available for leasing, you you could have leasing in those areas toward the end of 2010, perhaps a September or October lease sale in 2010. After that, though, once you get a lease, a company must purchase a lease. They have to pay a lot of money to obtain a lease. Then they must submit exploration plans. They have to do the geological and geophysical work to find and see if there are actually commercially recoverable resources in the lease. After that, then they have to submit a development and production plan to get approval to do the actual production. So there are many steps left. But like I said, we have to focus on energy being a long-term program with long-term solutions. Well, let's say that I'm an oil company and I'm interested in leasing a certain block of land under the water, off the coast of Florida. We'll just use that as an example. If I wanted to begin exploring today and then determine whether or not I wanted to buy a lease in that area, could I do that? Well, there's there's two ways to really begin the exploration pro- process. One way is obtaining a lease. And once you have your lease, you could file for your exploration permit. You get the permit, you can begin doing those activities. Another way is by applying for what is called a G&G permit. 
a geological and geophysical exploration permit, which can be authorized to anybody really at any time. The problem with those, and those can be obtained right now, or, or potentially could be obtained right now for offshore Atlantic, offshore Pacific, eastern Gulf, is that there's little incentive for companies to go out there and do these without knowing that those studies and that research are going to be worth anything. Because if you can't do any leasing, you can't do any production, then what's the use in having the seismic for a company whose business is to do the seismic work? The other problem is the government must process those applications for G&G permits in accordance with existing laws and statutes. So they will have to comply with the National Environmental Policy Act, which requires environmental analyses to be taken before approving those applications. And my understanding is the government has received such applications. It's just that they don't have the resources, the money, to do a lot of the environmental work and then go ahead and approve those plans. So there are, there are tremendous obstacles in place. And until we have some certainty that these moratoria will remain off the books, we're probably not going to see a whole lot of this type of G&G activity offshore Atlantic, offshore Pacific. There are some people, Eric, who would ask the question, how do we know that oil companies are really interested in drilling offshore? Why wouldn't they go to another country, perhaps, instead, where they think they might get more oil or more natural gas? Do we know whether or not they're interested? Our industry is very interested in looking at these areas in the Atlantic and Pacific. People have to remember that the oil and natural gas industry is in the business of producing oil and natural gas. And as part of that, they want to look at the most economically viable, the most abundant resources where they can take their activities and their, and their platforms and their operations so they can bring the oil and natural gas from U.S. areas to the U.S. customer in the most economically efficient way. And the point I'm trying to get at here is right now we've had to focus on the Gulf of Mexico because all these other areas were off limits. It's becoming a very mature field. You really need now to provide access long overdue to these other areas so that we can at least get out there and see what the prospects are. If the companies are able to do the exploratory work, do the seismic work, and are able to find abundant resources, then it's going to be a great business proposition to move out in those areas and get that oil and natural gas to the American consumer. So you got to think of it as being a business, and if there's good business opportunities, our industry will certainly take advantage of those for the benefit of the American consumer. Well, and that brings me to another question, in fact. Let's talk about the benefits of offshore drilling. Is there reason to believe that expanding offshore drilling and production could actually help our economy and could be a benefit to consumers? Well, one great benefit is an increase in jobs. When you have offshore drilling and production in any area offshore, these states where we're talking about, you're going to have direct employment gains in, in that specific activity in the offshore drilling and production. And you're also going to have indirect gains in the local economy. You're going to have hotels, restaurants. You're going to have infrastructure demands where other companies are going to have to come in and, and assist in the service and, and supply arenas, which, which help the oil and gas offshore production and development. You'll, you'll have all these different types of needs that are going to have to be met. So you're going to have a significant job push that will help local economies and help the economy across the nation as a whole. You're also going to have a pretty significant infusion of investments in our own economy as opposed to overseas. You will have oil and gas companies investing in domestic production as opposed to having to go and invest in other areas around the world where that 
investment may have to be taken if you're not allowed to do it here. So you're, you're going to, and you're also going to have increased taxes and revenues flowing to the government um, on both the, the, the royalties flowing from the oil and gas production, and you're going to have the increased taxes coming from the employment and from the corporate income that comes in. So there would be a major impact on the U.S. Treasury. Yes, the, the the U.S. Treasury itself has been a great beneficiary of offshore drilling and production, and, and let me let me kind of break break down how that occurs. These leases are not free. Companies pay millions of dollars to obtain a lease. A lease itself is generally a three mile by three mile block offshore, and so up front, the government basically holds an auction. So if you want to purchase one of these leases, you submit a sealed bid. They'll have a day where they open up all the bids. And if you qualify as a bidder, the one who gets that lease is the one who bids the most. And these bids have ranged from $1 million to over $40 million. In the past 12 months alone, the government has received over $9 billion in bonus bids. And after you get your lease, you've already paid your bonus bid, you then start paying rentals. So annually, the government gets $200, $300 million in rentals on leases. Once you start producing companies have to pay royalties. The royalty rate now for offshore leases is, is at 18.75%. So that is a huge income source for the government. Royalties have been ranging $7, 8000000000 billion a year to the U.S. Treasury. One other interesting note is that in 2006, Congress passed the Gulf of Mexico Energy Security Act. As part of that, Congress provided revenue sharing to four coastal Gulf of Mexico states. And what that means is states are now able, if Congress allows, to share in those revenues. So you could have millions, if not billions, flowing to states. And if Congress um, would take a look at that and potentially uh, expand that outside the Gulf, you could potentially have Atlantic and Pacific coastal states sharing in these tremendous revenues that are flowing to the federal government, if that's something Congress uh, will look at for those states. So states, the federal government, the American consumers, everybody could be a winner. Yeah, it's the really the, the second largest uh, revenue source to the federal government outside of IRS collections. Very interesting. Eric Melito, thank you so much for joining us today on Energy Tomorrow Radio. Thank you. Thank you for joining us on Energy Tomorrow Radio, brought to you by the people of America's oil and natural gas industry. For more information about this podcast or to submit questions for future shows, visit energytomorrow.org. That's energytomorrow.org. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.